Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. Before we get into what we are talking about uh, as part of my continued birthday month celebration, I did want to just quickly and and trigger warning for gun violence, um, for hate crimes, for um, LGBTQIA plus hate, for mass shootings, just quick trigger warning there. Uh, We are recording this the day after another senseless um, act of violence was committed in Colorado Springs and um, at an LGBTQIA plus club, uh, Club Q. Uh, there was a mass shooting. And I just want to just say, if you think that uh, the hate talk that we have been listening to, the rhetoric, the absolutely disgusting targeted hatred towards the LGBTQIA plus community over the past couple of years, and I mean, it's been a long time, but even more targeted in the past couple of years, didn't inspire this. I mean, that's my thought, my feeling on it is that bears some responsibility for this. When you put that out there and you basically are giving the green light to targeted hate. I know we don't know all the details yet, but for me, it feels like it's very hard to not find some kind of correlation with that. And also the fact that we don't seem to give a crap about this stuff. This stuff keeps happening. And we don't do anything. We don't do anything. And, you know, once again, thoughts and prayers aren't going to do anything. Um, Real action and speaking out. And yeah, so um, I'm kind of at a loss for words, but I wanted to at least acknowledge it and mention it and um, send love and light to um, people, uh, to all our friends in the LGBTQIA plus community, because I know this is really, really hardest for them. So I wanted to just say that. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we are going to be talking about the movie Silver Linings Playbook. And I'm very excited because Tanya is here to discuss this movie with me. Like I've said before, we will be talking about the writer and director, David O. Russell, because he is not a good person. So it's very hard because he creates amazing art. And this film means a ton to me personally. It's one of the most accurate depictions ever for me of bipolar disorder. And so it's very hard because trying to separate that and still love this movie as much as I do is a very difficult process. And I do want to say once again, like I've mentioned a couple times before, this will probably be the last time we ever, ever discuss a David O. Russell film on this podcast, which means we will never discuss American Hustle during our Christian Effing Bale month. So just putting that out there that even though I did still want to cover this one because of how much it means to me, 
I do want to mention that and acknowledge that because I think it'd be weird not to acknowledge what a problematic, horrible, awful person the creator of this is. I mean, not the original creator because this is based on a novel, but how awful um, he is. But I still think this will be a great conversation. We will give trigger warnings before we get into the actual meat of the discussion. But I just wanted to say uh, that Silver Linings Playbook, if you don't know what this is about, is about, uh, it came out in 2012, and it follows the story of Pat, who, after a stint in a mental institution, uh, he moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. And things get more challenging when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. It stars Bradley Cooper as Pat, Jennifer Lawrence as Tiffany, Robert De Niro as Pat's dad, Pat Sr., Jackie Weaver as Dolores, Pat's uh, mom, Chris Tucker as Danny, one of Pat's friends, John Ortiz as Ronnie, also one of Pat's friends, Anapum, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, Care as Dr. Cliff Patel, who is Pat's therapist, Julia Stiles as Veronica, who is Ronnie's wife, and other people as well. This was written and directed, like I said, by David O. Russell. It is based on the novel of the same name by Matthew Quick. Um, this was nominated for quite a few Academy Awards here. Let me get, and it won one for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role, went to Jennifer Lawrence. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Performance by an Actor for Bradley Cooper, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Robert De Niro, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role by for Jackie Weaver. Uh, it was nominated for Directing, Writing, Editing. It became the first to earn nods in all four acting categories since the movie Reds in 1981, and the first big five nominee since Million Dollar Baby in 2004. And this was repeated the next year with David O. Russell's film American Hustle. So once again, that's what's such a struggle with him is he creates these things that are so amazing and these actors that give amazing performances. But once again, please stop working with him. All of Hollywood continues to work with him. So, you know, Christian, you're our unofficial mascot. <laughs> so listen to us. I was wondering about him. that. I've I've been like sitting here just listening and like being solid. And I, I you know more about his I, I know a bit. I I, lo I looked it up and I've I've read a few things about the problems with him, but I I don't know as much as you do. And I wondered what your thoughts were on on Christian Bale, and and you know who's such who's so phenomenal. And th this movie is wonderful. Like yeah, and I just really quick to address the current event too. My I don't know that this is true because I woke up to news of this, but I this week was. Today, maybe, is Transgender yeah. Remembrance Day. And, uh, you know, kind of highlighting the fact that our transgender folks and, and citizens around the world are killed at highly disproportionate rates due to violence and, and murder, and, and their deaths are often not investigated. And, of course, that's different for those who are marginalized and transgender individuals. So I wanted to acknowledge that and also say my understanding was the event last night was a transgender remembrance day event as well so that may have as we learn more about this that may have additional um context to unpack there and make it additionally 
traumatic and difficult. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I know I went all over the place there on you, but um, no, thank yeah, you. I so that was something it. I had heard. I just wanted to acknowledge. Um, yeah. the So David O. Russell, I, I know I've seen The Fighter. It has been a long time. This movie I saw, I don't know. Can I launch in or do you want me to like wait till you ask questions? <laughs> Well, we're, like, we're gonna we're gonna first go and do the okay, normal cool. introducing ourselves and then we will definitely yeah, yeah. Okay, and then we'll go into the initial impressions so you could definitely i mean because we did talk about the fighter earlier this year yeah. in january and christian bale just and a bunch of people not just him were just in like half of hollywood practically we're just in a movie that came out that was written and directed by david o russell so that's why we definitely want to talk about that because we've chastised Christian uh, many times on this podcast for this. We love Christian Bale. We love a lot of the actors that work with David O. Russell, but they know they've had their own issues with him. Christian Bale famously stood up for Amy Adams when they were doing American Hustle because David O. Russell was being an ass to her. And he famously stood up and said, stop doing that, you know? So it's like, you know, it's happening, but you still go back. It's such a, it's so, sadly it shouldn't be mind-blowing because this happens all the time in Hollywood I mean look at all the people that still work with Woody Allen and all the people that still work with Roman Polanski it's like you know people just still keep doing it and you know and so it's yeah but we will definitely get into that more so sorry I mean I had started it so don't worry about the fact that you jumped in there (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) but but thank you for adding that though about about the um incident at Club Q and and I and I know they were doing events all weekend mm-hmm. for that um and so so I'm sure that I mean we don't know of course but that may have had something to do with it too so yeah um but before we get back into Silver Linings playbook and like I said once again I'm going to have some trigger warnings for the movie itself I want to know if there's what you are into right now in pop culture Tanya yeah, this one I I've been in a bit of a a, a slump. I don't know if that's uh, or I haven't been watching <laughs> as much, but I I went back and watched um, a show on Netflix called Warrior Nun. Uh, so that's kind mm-hmm. of fun, and that's uh, they have a new season that just came out. And I remember I watched it in 2020 because like we were all stuck at home. Uh, and I don't think I ever finished it, so I went back and finished it, which was really weird because I was like, I don't remember anything that it had I not entirely but which I think is based on a graphic novel but warrior nun I'm I'm giving it a solid try it's not the best thing I've ever seen but it's a um, diverse cast of of young women who are the main characters the catholic church stuff is a little off-putting for me frankly um, but it's it's supernatural and so the warrior nuns are this order that protect humanity from demons i don't know it's sort of that stuff but it's (laughs) but it's a it's more adult than like you would expect and i think it's filmed in europe spain so so, part of it honestly is like ooh, it's like a vacation a little bit you know where you're like looking at all these cool because it's not sets it's definitely location-based filming and and i i am enjoying that and the relationships and of course there's just fun character interactions between these young women who are who are badasses so it's fun awesome yeah i've heard of that one i've never watched it but i've heard of that one so cool awesome well and my voice is still recovering i cannot believe my voice is still recovering from this but 
so I was on vacation and actually took some time off from the podcast, which was uh, has been amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. Tanya. I'm applauding for you because my I know how much you've been doing this for three solid years, I think, at least. Right? Yes, it's, and it, three years will be on December 17th. Yeah. Three wow. That's yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for, for that applause. But, uh, but I went to Vegas and saw Magic Mike. And I want to say, I, I know people may think this is like, just like a strip show, but it really isn't. It's very much a performance, a story. The dancing is incredible. These dancers, both male and female are outstanding and very athletic, but there is, I mean, there is some taking off of clothes, I did get to feel one dancer's abs. That was a very nice, <laughs> pleasant thing, I will say. But it was just, it was just a beautiful, it was actually really beautiful to watch. And the second it was over, I wanted to go right again. I did lose my voice because I was yelling and screaming so much. Um, so that was a ton, a ton of fun. And then the other thing I did, which is totally on the other end of the spectrum, is I went and saw our vice unofficial mascot, Mr. Finn Whitrock in 222 a ghost story which is playing right now in la and that was a ton of fun you know it's got some scary elements to it i know some other people were more scared than i was per se but it was still really interesting the performances the four lead performances are really really good and it was just so amazing to see a play i haven't seen i haven't seen a play in years so it reignited that love of theater that I have. So I do recommend that if you're out there. So those are the two things that I'm into right now. Okay, well, let's get into Silver Linings Playbook. So once again, like I said, I'm going to give some trigger warnings. This movie, of course, deals very heavily with mental illness. And it also deals a lot with self-harm behavior, I would say. Also talking about harm to other people. Also, there is some um, slut shaming is the way I'm going to put it in this movie, big time. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of that. And there, while there are so there's so much comedic, there are so many comedic elements to this movie. It's so much about mental illness and other people's reactions to mental illness and everyone's own personal reactions to that. There is, you know, you do see the hospitalization very briefly in the beginning. So that's also kind of a trigger warning there. And then I will give heads up and I'll give it once we get into the David O. Russell thing, which is the last thing we're really going to be talking about. Um, that is um, abusive behavior, uh, misogynist um, behavior as well. When we get into that, well, I'll give the trigger warning again for that when we get to that stuff. Um, but I did want to give a couple of quick little trivia notes here. Bradley Cooper and because there's the famous dance scene in this and Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence spent several weeks practicing the climatic ballroom dance routine with choreographer Mandy Moore, who people might know Mandy Moore from the So You Think You Can Dance reality competition series. I don't know if you ever watched that, Tanya. It was actually a ton of fun. I love dancing. So and as Lawrence asserted, none of that was improvised. Absolutely not. She said she's a terrible dancer, so she would never have been able to do any of that. And when it finally came together, that scene really was just as fun as it feels. Lawrence mentioned that compared to her, Cooper, Bradley Cooper, took to dancing quite naturally when, in fact, it's her character Tiffany that's supposed to be the experienced dancer and path amateur. 
Just like his character in the film, Bradley Cooper is from Philadelphia and is a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. Harvard Medical School psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Schlossman was interviewed about this film and its depictions of mental illness for the December 3rd, 2012 edition of Vulture magazine. His opinion was, because it's never stated what Tiffany's illness is, and I agree with this opinion from having been known people that have this, um, his opinion was that Tiffany's unnamed condition was borderline personality disorder. However, the filmmakers have never confirmed this. And I think this is funny. During an interview with the National Public Radio Program Weekend Edition Sunday, Jackie Weaver said that David O. Russell gave her and Robert De Niro a backstory for their characters that included the fact that even though they had been married for 30 plus years, they still make love twice a week. I just kind of liked that. <laughs> I love that. Through. It kind of comes That's through great. the way they are. Yeah, together. yeah. They're really good. Like you, I will say that, I mean... Not to okay, I, no, it's that's okay. Great, because yeah. that you you, I felt like they were a couple. Like that was one part of this that was so solid was the relationship between the parents, oh, and yeah. it really felt like a family. They they did a great job with that. Yeah. Yes, I I agree. <laughs> I agree. When Tiffany runs out of the diner and Pat chases her on their raisin brand date. <laughs> And they stop in front of the movie theater on Halloween to argue. The movie on the marquee is The Midnight Meat Train, which starred Bradley Cooper. So- <laughs> That's funny. That's great. <laughs> yes, which nice. I have seen that movie. So I want to know, Tanya, so what were your initial impressions of the film overall? When you- yeah, so I saw this film uh, when it was in the theaters. I actually, it's a film I saw in the theaters, which for me at that point would have been rare. We had moved to Denver from Wisconsin and I was, I'm going to now do some self-disclosure, so trigger warnings, but I um, I am a person who has mental health challenges and mental, I live with mental illness and I consider my men, some of my mental illnesses to be an invisible disability because they are, they do keep me from participating fully in society and doing what we would expect of someone without these conditions, right? Um, so that said, I have personal experience. I've done a lot of growth in these areas um, and I've learned a lot about myself and about mental illness generally. I've done a lot of therapy. I've not been hospitalized inpatient, but I have done intensive outpatient therapy. Um, but that said, mental illness like disability, like any identity is not a monolith. So I can speak to my experience and what I've learned. But I really, I don't know everything about what everybody's going through, of course. So I saw this in the theater and I think I was laughing and crying. Like, I think I was bawling my way through this because in a good way, like I felt seen in in Pat's, some of Pat's character and his dad. And I think the conversation where they're at the dinner table where he first, he's first met Tiffany and he's on this very awkward dinner date with his buddies. Uh, and that, that whole bit is the humor in this. I don't know. I was losing it. I was mm-hmm. losing my mind when they were talking about drugs and they were <laughs> talking and they, they get into this really awkward conversation about different medications they've been on. And I don't, this, I want to say like, as somebody who takes medication has taken more or less of it, I was like, oh my God, yes, everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. But also I don't, I I hesitate to talk about medication because 
I don't want to anyway, like at the beginning, the very beginning, he like spits out his pills, right? I don't want to go into like the anti-meds category at all because they're, they're wonderful. They work when they need to work. They don't work for everyone. If meds do or don't work for you, keep trying. They have saved lives. So all of that said, um, on the other hand, I think medication in my experience needs to go with competent lifestyle changes and counseling like it's it is but i just wanted to be clear i am absolutely not anti-meds but i that conversation was so funny because i i will say like when i watched this i was in the middle of a my i don't know for listeners like for me personally mental health is cyclical like or mental illness it's not necessarily yeah it's always there but there's times when it's real, real bad and really it flares up almost like, you know, any kind of life flare up where you're like, I can't, I can't do anything right now. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I got to just, ooh, this is rough, right? And so the, this, when I saw this film was during one of those di- more difficult times of my life where I was on, I, they talk about clonopin and my doctor had prescribed me clonopin. And I remember like, it was like, holy shit, whatever tiny dose she gave me, the whole quote about yeah. what, what fucking day is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. you're like, it felt like you're outside of your body watching yourself through freaking Vaseline. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it's, true. It, it's, it definitely, and I was taking an itty bitty, like cutting it. It might even, even been a quarter of a freaking pill, but it was, I remember being like, oh, this is like serious shit and I should only take this if I'm really, really needing it. And then as soon as I could kind of get off of that, I did. Right. You know, so like, and again, it's not anti-meds. It's more like that is, that is the big guns. That is the, the nuclear option (laughs) of meds. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, and again, no, absolutely no, no shame in, in saying that. Um, I'm a person who I think is quite functional and has accomplished quite a bit in their life, I hope. But that's the other part of this. Like, I think whenever I can disclose and feel comfortable disclosing, I do. Because I think it's important for people to know I am not a violent person. I'm not a threatening person. I am a person who has mental illness, but that's only one part of who I am as an individual and what I do in society. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, and and my experience is very similar to Tanya's in seeing this movie. Um, I, you know, I've been very vocal on this podcast. I have bipolar too, and that is something that I was diagnosed with later in life. I was diagnosed when I was 30, so I had gone through life with no one really knowing exactly, and not me not knowing what was quote-unquote wrong with me. And mm-hmm. I've been on so many meds off and on since I was 14. So mm-hmm. a long time. And that med scene, and I've mentioned it before on this podcast because I had never seen anything like that in a movie where it was mm-hmm. like, that is so true. And these people are just talking about it like, you know, and I'm like, yep, yep. And when they're talking about trazodone, which I've been on trazodone too, 
all of those, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I know. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yep. And to see two people bonding over that in a way was just really, I think, kind of remarkable. And once again, I'm going to echo what Tanya said. I, you know, medic the medication I'm on now, I finally found something that works for me, but it took years. So it is a thing that takes a long time if it works for you. And it is, it does, I do think of it as a lifesaver. Mm -hmm. But I do want to stress once again, I do think you do have to have a combination. And it's not just those for me personally that works. And once again, talk to professionals that you trust. And that can take a long time too. Yeah. That can be a hard process too, yep. for sure. Because I have trauma associated with a therapist. Oh God. So it's extra hard for me. Every time I have to find yeah. a new therapist, it's like re-triggering. And I just recently had to find a new therapist because I switched insurance. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's a very, it's a big struggle. Uh, but watching this movie and it was also right around a time, um, it was about a year after my traumatic, uh, event that had happened in, in film school that I've talked about before my me too moment. And so this was about that time. So I was already struggling with my mental health and I ended up in inpatient treatment in 2013 was the last time and was right after around this movie. And I remember after, and I'd seen it like quite a few times in the theater because it was just like, I don't, it was like one of the first times I had seen myself reflected so, so accurately. There are certain things I didn't relate to with Pat. But there was so much of him that I did relate to that it was really kind of overwhelming, but in a good way. And I laughed a lot and cried a lot. And I appreciated all the humor that was there. And I, you know, I had never been a Bradley Cooper fan. This was the movie that made me a Bradley Cooper fan because he was so, so good. I mean, so yeah. good. Everything he really is. he does in this movie is incredible. Not even just what the way he speaks, just the way he holds his body, little movements, his eyes, everything is perfect. But I remember watching this movie after I got out of uh, my stay in the hospital and we I went and saw it again. And that was an even more emotional experience watching this movie because of the fact that I'd just been in the hospital. So this to me holds such a such an important place in my heart because it honestly, for me, is probably the most accurate ever for mental illness and for my struggles and for my own personal story. So, yeah, so I, I loved it. I, it was my favorite movie that year, and it is one of my favorite movies. And once again, Bradley Cooper, just outstanding. I mean, everybody's good in this. I'm not saying he's mm -hmm. not the only one, but but he was so accurate in that. So we've already talked a little bit about the overall accuracy of it. But did you have any other comments on that? And also the way the film incorporates mm -hmm. humor with that. We're talking about yeah, that. I, I appreciate that. And I, um, I think for me too, it, the way it shows how your life with mental illness can get completely derailed, like, you know, he Pat, the character has very specific goals, like he wants all this to happen. And he just you know, there's things in, that are in his way. Right. And that's, that's what that feels like. I think in a way you're like, I know I want to be here. I want to be doing this and I just cannot 
it just isn't happening. And I think the way the relationships are affected, that's one thing I think this showed well, is that mental illness doesn't just affect the person who's dealing with it. It's everybody around them. And I think showing that while everyone still loves each other and is trying to navigate this, I also think this show, this film does a really good job of, of situating mental illness inside of other identities. So being a working class, I think Italian, is their family Italian American or, or working class white family it's, from yeah. Philly, mm-hmm. from Philly, though, I think that's important here that this is in that context, mm-hmm. right? And not not a upper middle class, because a lot of times when you see a mental illness, it's a it's a wealthiest person you could imagine. And it's a very like, it's only depression and it's only suicidal ideation or, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh, there's a whole spectrum of mental illness. There's a whole spectrum of people who experience mental illness. Let's do more to like round that out in that presentation. I think this does some of that. One more note on therapy. I always tell people this if, if I know this is a privilege, but if you have the option, you, your therapist is like your hairstylist. You do not have to see the f- person who cuts your hair wrong. If they're not a good with good fit for you, you get to fire them. They work for you. And I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, bring up triggering issues that and your issue sounds different and worse, but I've had therapists who who made my situation worse. Mm-hmm. Not um not necessarily like I wouldn't go so far as to say trauma, but I was like, wow, holy shit, you don't know what you're doing here. And I at that point at least had enough reflexivity to go nah, we're not, we're not, I'm not coming back. We got to find somebody else. Um, so hopefully if you have the privilege of having options, use it. Like you don't have to go with the first person, um, usually who, who they assign you to. And, and if I know that depends on insurance, which is another fucking thing, but Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally echo that. Um, and that also goes for you know, you'll usually, you'll have your therapist and then you'll usually have the person who prescribed you the medication and they're not always the same person. And that goes for the person who prescribed you medication too. I have had people that have done that and they are literally, I think they've gotten to that compassion fatigue so much that they won't even, they don't even look at you. They just sit there and take notes. And I'm like, are you even realizing who, that I'm in the room here? Do you even care? And that can be very demoralizing. And so I think that's important too, to have that as well. But yeah, I definitely agree because, you know, that's a very important relationship. And it's not just like, you know, someone who is giving you a ride somewhere or someone you're, this is someone that you're going to be relaying your deepest thoughts to and fears to, and this person can make them worse or better. And so it's very important to find that, you know, and, and to find other things, you know, I've, I've done DBT like three times in my life. And I think DBT is an incredible tool, but it might not work for everybody, but I think it's an incredible tool for anyone really. But as long as you find it helpful, um, but yeah, that's, that's so, so important. But I do think, like I've said, I think, um, and I can't speak too much for, for if, for Tiffany's uh, mental illness, because I think I didn't relate to her very much at all in this movie, I will say, as far as like that side went, um, much more to Bradley Cooper. And especially because 
his character Pat has bipolar disorder. So of course that I think is more relatable for me just with my own diagnosis uh, because there's so many things that Pat does in this movie where they're little, little, little moments like, you know, when he's reading and it's a farewell to arms that he's reading because he wants to read the syllabus that his wife is teaching and he gets, it's four o'clock in the morning. He gets up yeah. and he wakes his parents <laughs> up and it's hilarious. Yep. But it also shows how that, like you said, how his illness is not only impacting himself, but impacting his family because he's disturbing their sleep. He's disturbing the neighborhood's sleep because he's so upset about the way this novel ended and how it was there wasn't a happy ending there wasn't happiness and it seemed like it was going that way and he was so upset with that and i think it also i think spoke to what he was struggling with himself because i think with pat throughout this movie what you see him is he's like with you know with a whole silver linings thing and his whole excelsior thing and all of that is i think he's like I am just going to keep putting on this positive face and maybe that means that eventually everything will be okay. And if I'm just positive and I have this silver lining outlook, it will all be okay. When deep down, I think there's a lot of hurt and pain that he's struggling with there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see it when he also is struggling with the fact that when he meets Tiffany, he instantly is attracted to her. But that is causes him pain because he wants to be with his wife. Mm -hmm. And so you see him like pretty quickly after he meets Tiffany, you see him cut to the scene where he's looking for his wedding tape, his wedding video to kind of, I think, reassure that, oh, yes, no, I really want my wife mm -hmm. and him freaking out about that. And, you know, that's the thing is if you have a, an illness and you get so laser focused on one thing and it can it can happen really quickly where you don't even realize it, where all of a sudden you're in this like hyper fixation state where you get so stressed and everything is like, feels like it's crumbling down around you. And if you don't do this one thing, everything's going to fall apart. And I think Pat is constantly on that edge throughout this movie. And you mm -hmm. see that with little things he does. And then you'll see like little brightness come in. Like one of my favorite scenes actually is when he's running, when he's first running and he goes to the school he used to teach at and where his wife used to teach at. And he runs into that woman who's just scared to see him, just terrified. You see another reaction to, to mm -hmm. um, the illness. And she's like being afraid and, you know, saying things. And he's like, why would you say that? Why? And then she's like, you look really good. You look like you lost some weight. And he's instantly like, oh, thank you. And gives her a hug. And she's just yeah. so scared. But it's but you see that thing with him where it's like he's reacting to the stimuli coming in so much. And, mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, being hospitalized, speaking from personal experience, is a traumatic experience in itself. And he had been there for like eight months or something, you yeah. know, and that's, that's a long time to be in a hospital. Yeah. That's, that's a really long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a long time because you're changing everything you're thinking and you're living by, a, you know, a set schedule and everything is safe in a way, but also confronting in a way. Um, and so I think he's also dealing with that. And I think you can see that in him and, his moments with his therapist are always easy or are always interesting to examine because he's so like together, quote unquote, together. And then he has these moments where he kind of slips and once again to the performance and you see it with the way he holds his body or these little minute little moments in his eyes or he gets emotional and changes. 
And it's just an interesting um, depiction that I haven't seen before really in movies where there is that humor. So it's not all this dour, depressing, if you have a mental illness, your life is over kind of thing. It's more like this is part of what your life is and it's going to affect things, but you can also live and have funny moments and laugh about this. And that's one of the things that I appreciated so much is it wasn't like you were laughing at Pat or his illness or Tiffany or her illness. You were laughing with them and laughing at situations that happen in life normally anyway. And then when you have the added thing of the illness, it, I don't know, can add as a different kind of humor there, honestly, in a way. I think that's what it was showing. And that's what I really always appreciate about this movie too, is that it isn't just like this dour, depressing thing of like your life is over and, you know, Pat never really seems like he doesn't have any um, suicidal ideation stuff going on. Not really too positive on Tiffany because sometimes I think Tiffany is doing a lot of self-harm behavior. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which I think goes also to her guilt over her husband's death. Mm -hmm. and how that all came about. So I think that also plays into it. But um, but that's another thing I just appreciate is this is not a movie watching people who have no hope. It's more a movie saying, you know, just because you have a mental illness doesn't mean you aren't entitled to have hope and a life and mm. those silver linings. So yeah, yeah, the happiness. Yeah, I agree. It's um, and I think one thing they do a good job <laughs> I'm thinking of the the whole dinner scene and the scene with his friends and it, mm -hmm. the everyone in this film has has issues. Like yeah. there's not a character who doesn't have some kind of stress or and or mental illness or serious life stress. So even the characters that are his friends Ronnie and Veronica who are presented as as not having um mental illness at least as far as I can tell, not in the way that that Pat and Tiffany and his parents or his dad at least are are shown to have specific specific issues <laughs> the scene with with ronnie and veronica where they're out in the yard and and you know you could just see ronnie's about ready to fall apart under the pressure of yeah. being a dad and being a parent and he's talking about like i just redid the house i'm gonna redo it again like you know like showing <laughs> that that there's there's compulsion and obsessiveness and uh, anxiety and and all of that is like a part of the human experience and where it becomes an illness is when it when it follow falls into that it's taking so much of your life and I'm not I'm not trying to be dismissive I'm saying everyone has anxiety everyone has some depression everyone has OCD style obsessive compulsive disorder style thoughts or behavior so a lot of this is normalizing and i think that that does something to normalize some of what these characters are going through and then it's when it gets into the really disruptive you know oh this is i can't i need help here this this needs this condition is becoming much more unmanageable i i don't know at least that's i think that's how a lot of mental illness is for people rather than just it's not a binary, right? It's not, I'm a hundred percent sick. I'm a hundred percent. Well, it's like a lot of disabilities or chronic illnesses where 
sometimes it's real rough and really disruptive. Other times it's a lot more manageable for that individual. Um, and it's because it's so not well understood that I think we don't, we don't see that. We don't know that. So I appreciate this movie for showing that. Um, and then, you know, seeing how you're like, yeah, but even, even quote unquote, the normies or the normal people are just as fucked up as everybody else, you know, <laughs> like, I, I think that's, cause you have that really awkward scene and Pat's wearing the, the Jersey and they're talking about meds at dinner. And then you see how messed up they are. And you're like, all right, nobody has a leg to stand on or a, you know, whatever that bad metaphor is. Everyone has their problems. Nobody can judge, you know, yes. each other here. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly, exactly true. And, and, you know, also with, with the family, you know, the, the big thing that you, I think are seeing throughout this between Pat and Pat's dad is I think Pat's dad so, so desperately wants to connect with his son. And that's why all the game day stuff and Sundays is so important to him because I think he feels it's a way to connect with his son and, um, I mean, there is some of the OCD stuff there too, but I think a lot of it is just, he wants to, you know, he has that moment on the, you know, sitting there with his son wanting to connect with him and, and there's so many different moments like that. And Robert De Niro plays that really, really well, mm -hmm. where there is so much emotion there where I think he's scared and doesn't know what to do. And I, and I think it also can speak to some of the, um, you know, the, the male um, psyche of being like, well, we're, we're men. So we're going to put on this brave face, uh, but also that sensitivity there. And, um, and you watch it also with just even the first scene when Pat comes home and walks in and his brother's portrait is hanging up on the wall and Pat's is not. Mm -hmm. And it's like this brief little, and you can see the pain there for Pat when Pat sees that his portrait isn't up. And then at the end, they're both hanging up there. So it's kind of like this journey that they all sort of take take together. So yeah. And we, we've already we've already discussed the characters a lot, but is there anything else you want to add on your overall thoughts about the characters and if there was a favorite you wanted to mention or anything like that? Yeah, they're I mean, they're all fantastic. And I think um as a person with I do have obsessive compulsive disorder, so I now understand a lot more of what I see in Pat Sr. Um, and I have, you know, I've had disabling anxiety. Um, so I understand that even though you're watching it. But I think that that's portrayed really sensitively by Robert De Niro, where he's never, you know, you know, as the character Pat knows, even um, his wife knows, like what he's doing is not under his control entirely, like what he's following through on and having to do this this way and the remotes have to be this mm -hmm. way. <laughs> like, you know, I'm I'm very much can identify with that, but it's it's never belitt belittling, I think, is what I appreciate about that. You're not um and then you do see some enabling by by his wife of I'm gonna make this or I'm gonna do that, you know, and try and and that is how that that happens, you know, with people who have these challenges is their loved ones want to help and they don't know how. And I agree with you, like that commentary on the on the masculinity and the bonding. And this is how he the only way he knows how to kind of reach out to his son, who he knows is very troubled and is trying to protect him at the same time is 
having to kind of weather all of this with with their own challenges. Um, also, shout out for Chris Tucker. <laughs> That's such yes, a fun. Yes, I love Chris Tucker. Fun yeah. little recurring, and the doctor, Doctor Patel, is great too. The fun little recurring, like he keeps trying to get out of the. They don't tell. Uh, yeah, he keeps trying to leave the the mental hospital, and like you know, and has all these stories and. I don't know the way he just talks nonstop too at the beginning. You're like, oh, this is really, this is great. I definitely have been around that person. I've maybe been that yeah. person. Like, I, you know, <laughs> so that's fun. No, those were, those were a couple of little highlights. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Chris Tucker's character is, is, is great. I, I love him and um, he's so, uh, <laughs> he's so sweet and so endearing and so, so much love there. I mean, he really has a lot of love and caring. And even though it is that ongoing joke of him, he's not supposed to be out and he keeps getting out. And, um, but there's still this other thing there where he has just this compassion in him. And I think, you know, that's also what I appreciated is that all of these characters, you know, like you said, they do have issues. They, you know, some do have illnesses that are explicitly stated or explicitly explored. Some don't. And I think it's so interesting to watch just these people that are just their regular everyday people kind of thing where it's not like it defines everything about them. It's just, it's an aspect of their character and who they are, uh, but they still can live full lives. They still can you know, have things like I've stated quite a few times on here, but that's just something I just appreciate so much. And and I love with Chris Tucker's character when John Pack comes home and he's there sitting with his dad and holding the remotes and, yeah. and his dad just loves him now he's helping with, with the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And then also right. when he shows up at, at the dance, one of the dance <laughs> rehearsals yep. and, and shows them how to do a dance a certain way and it's right it's so it's so it's so great and that's one of the first that's one of the moments you also see how much pat is falling for tiffany because he's like no no no, no, no don't you know no I, I think we got it i think we got it you know because he doesn't want to yeah. keep touching her he's a little jealous yeah <laughs> yes he's a little bit of that but, yeah pat i mean for sure pat running away from his feelings and getting triggered by them and not really processing you know you see him like i've got this positive i, I can just this is what yeah. society so to me that's also reflecting what society expects of people with mental illness and even tiffany as well like oh society expects us to just be happy and positive all the time and just be fine and like pat's trying to do what he thinks society is asking of him and it's not what he needs to do to heal Right. And yeah. and so I think that commentary is interesting too. Like, okay, everything that you think you're supposed to be doing is actually not taking you the the difficult journey you need to go through this process. Like and I and I don't necessarily mean like reconciling with his family or or dealing, you know, and then you see later he has processed, right? And it's it's a little movie magic quick that he processes <laughs> it and you know, just gets through it. But um I do think that that's an interesting journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. It, de it definitely is. Yes. And, and, you know, Tiffany, you know, I think Tiffany is an interesting character in, in the fact that, you know, in the book, this character, I guess, is actually in her thirties. And so isn't as young as, but then they ended up casting Jennifer Lawrence, which originally they had cast Anne Hathaway and then Anne Hathaway had to 
drop out of the project. And but the thing is that I've always thought, and, and I know this this is a place where people really really critique this movie heavily it, with Jennifer Lawrence being in this and with the fact that Bradley Cooper is so much older than her. The thing with Jennifer Lawrence in this movie that's really interesting to me is that she seems so much older than she is. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's just her as an actress or the way she's portraying this or her or her hair even. I don't have any idea. But for some reason, she always, to me, seemed so much older. So I never had an issue with it because I felt like I was watching someone in their 30s. So it could be just the way she was playing it. But I just, I thought that was interesting. And I think with her character, you know, so much of the slut shaming and so much of the fact that, you know, she um, has been sleeping with a lot of, she lost her job because of it. She um, is very open about it, but also gets judged a little bit, you know, like on the Raisin brand date when she is basically being judged by Pat about that, even though not too long before that he was getting very, very evidently turned on about talking about it with her, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, asking if she had been with a woman and that, that whole thing. And, you know, so that, that to me, you know, I don't think the film is judging her. I think society is judging her a little bit. I don't think the film is ever judging her because they don't paint her as a bad person. Uh, they paint her as someone who is struggling very much with the this death that happened. How does she handle that? How does she recover from that? And the fact that, you know, she, she talks about when her husband died, her husband, who was a cop, died. Um, you know, he was out getting lingerie for her because they had not been having sex. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that then somewhat of what she's coping with, a way she's coping is by having a lot of sex with different partners. And I just thought that was an interesting thing to show, to show it where even though society is slut shaming her, the movie isn't so much. The movie is more like this is her way of coping. Mm -hmm. And while she knows for herself, it may not be the healthiest way for her at that point. She's still going to continue to do it. Until, until I think, until she meets Pat, really. I think Pat kind of changes that for her because I think just as much as Pat is instantly attracted to her, I think she's instantly attracted to Pat. And I think they see this sort of connection where they understand each other in a way that other people can't. Right. And so I want to yeah. get that. There's a love story here. This is, this is in a lot of aspects of this are romantic comedy. There is a lot Mm -hmm. of romantic comedy things here. There's the, you know, almost enemies to lovers kind of. Um, There's also the whole thing of like, you know, there's this letter where Pat wants Tiffany to get this letter to Pat's wife. Mm -hmm. And then Tiffany writes a letter back to him that actually Tiffany wrote. And she said it was the wife that wrote back. Mm -hmm. And he figures that out. So it's got all of that. They're doing this rehearsal for this dance routine. So what did you think of the love story and Tiffany and Pat as a couple? Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I think, I mean, fun is a weird way to put it, but I think it's, well. it's it sounds very contrived, right? It sounds very like tropey, but it's the characters are so layered and different and have so much going on that it, um, it doesn't feel that way. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, I would rather watch this love story than a million Nicholas Sparks bullshit, whatever. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just am so, because this is reality. Like people, 
are fucked up and they act in ways because of their trauma that they're carrying around and that leads into everything. And if you can find someone you care about through that, I mean, that's beautiful, right? Like yeah. that's, and you can, you can love someone not despite their flaws, but um, through them. Right. And I think that's, that's really, really great. And I, I also was like, oh, their, their age difference. But I agree with you. I read the character of Tiffany as being older, probably than Jennifer Lawrence was. Um, yeah. And I knew that. And so in my head, it didn't, and it's not like they're 50 years. I mean, they're 15, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. Different. So it didn't, that didn't bother me. I don't think it didn't put me out of the story, but I did definitely feel like, all right, she's she's younger than the character she's supposed to be playing, um, which you know happens a lot in in films. Uh, so that didn't get to me too much. And I think her behavior, you know, Tiffany had fixated on the sexuality aspect and blamed her. She was experiencing depression. They sort of you know, suggest that her depression was part of what was their intimacy, part of their intimacy problem, right? Mm -hmm. So she fixate, fixates on the sexuality, but, you know, it's her sexual behavior is, I think, a way of uh, punishing herself, like for yeah. um, what she perceives to be as somehow playing a role in her husband's um, death, even though it was totally different. But often when you have mental health challenges and, and OCD, I will speak to my experience, you're fixating on something and you know that's not what you're worried about. What you're worried about is something very different and you feel powerless about that. So you act in compulsive ways because you think your brain is telling you, oh, if you do this, it'll fix that. But it's rationally, you know that's not right. Like a lot of yeah. times you can have that... Um, that step back. So she, you know, she's just sort of falling into that without, um, you know, and then, and then kind of at the point we meet her, she's starting to understand that's not what she wants or that's not who she is or that's, she's starting to, she knows that's a problem too. Like she's, she's recognizing that as much as she can't sort of stop doing it at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same with Pat. Like he's, he gets irrationally triggered and angry by that song, right? That was his end yeah. and by the incident. And he, he has anger and he, and he's, he rightfully has anger about what happened. He was not right in the violence. Right. And, and so I think that's what everyone's kind of walking on eggshells about him around is that he did get extremely violent and nearly, mm -hmm. um, you know, really, really hurt someone. Um, we understand that the, as people, the um where the feelings are coming from but like having the control is what he didn't exercise so i was all over there but all i'm saying is like i think for tiffany too that character is in a place where her her behavior is is her being hurt this is how mm -hmm. she's showing she's hurt uh it's not i want to be um a terrible person it's that i think by leaning into this i'm um you know kind of reconciling with my hurt, pain, anger, and punishing myself about it. That's how I read her anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I really love the love story in this because I, I do think, like you said, it is a lot more realistic in the fact that it's messy and it's not like um, picture perfect and both of them aren't and both of them do things that are not 
the greatest. And, you know, one thing I really always appreciated about this is that when Pat realizes and he discovers, he figures it out because Tiffany says some words from the letter. She says them out loud in another situation and he puts two and two together and realizes she's the one who wrote the letter. You, you do get the feeling he may have taken a moment to process that. But instead of thinking of that, instead of Pat being like, oh, this is such a horrible thing, what a horrible person she is, he really thinks of it as a way that she was trying to do something nice for him and she was trying to meet him in a place too. Like he he words it in a letter he writes to her, you were trying to meet my crazy with this crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you were trying to do. And you know, and, and he realizes that he's in love with her and has been in love with her since he met her. And I loved and appreciated that he doesn't ever once yell at her, scream at her, get mad at her for that letter. And you Mm -hmm. have seen this character throughout, like you said, express some anger and express, we've heard that he's been violent and there's no excuse for that at all. I, thankfully have never ever that's never been a part of my illness so that part i didn't relate to but you've seen that and you've seen that anger so you're thinking you know uh uh-oh what if he gets angry about that and he doesn't instead he Mm -hmm. still goes through and does the dance which the dance scene is one of the best scenes ever i love that dance so much because they just do it they're not good quote unquote yeah they're not like these professionals but they're having fun they get excited because they do get that five that average of five point score and yeah and it's just amazing because everybody's like i can't believe they're getting this excited about five. right and the dance i mean the the backdrop too is the dad is a compulsive gambler yeah. which is a horrible problem like yeah. but the way that they're you know so they're sort of showing i just the late the real the real the reality of this like people have issues we love them anyway mm-hmm. because of their issues with their issue <laughs> like you know yeah. your the thing about mental illness that i think people often don't understand is that it's it's sometimes it's good like i <laughs> this is bad no, like i i don't mean it that way i mean you people who have mental some of these mental illness or anxiety or depression we also have a lot of reflexivity or we go through a process of our brains work differently sometimes and sometimes that can be insightful like i'm very good sometimes at seeing things i'm a very perceptive person i would say and i have a lot of insight and i think that's not i would never want to would i would i not want to think about washing my hands all the time and wiping germs off of surfaces do i not want to think about that 24 7 correct but would i trade being able to focus on my work, on my research, or some of, I think, the insights it gives me into other people's lives and how they process things. No. Like, I, I do think you have to look at the the, <laughs> the silver linings <laughs> of having some of these. Some And I need to eat. But um, <laughs> so there, yes, forgive me well, for I'm some of these. Yes. No, no, it, it's all good. I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it gives you perspective, if nothing else. And I think it, it does. We, we do know that for some people, anxiety is like having hyper awareness or ADD or some neuro neurodiversities are also like having superpowers in some ways. So I'm just trying to mention that 
you know, you see Pat have this amazing willpower um, throughout this film. And I, I appreciate that they can show that there are strengths to this person that I don't know if that's entirely associated with his particular mental illness, but I read it that way as saying like, oh, this person actually has these strengths from this as well uh, and has done some growth, ha- is understanding that what he did yeah. was wrong. He he expresses remorse. He knows what he did was wrong. Like he knows he needs to do better. He's He's a little incorrect on where he wants to focus that energy, but the fact that he's like working out and trying to take care of himself and, and do all of these things is positive. I don't know. I was all over, but yeah, what I no, meant was, yeah, sometimes, you know, experiencing depression enables you to understand and have at the very least empathy for that. And I would not wish that on, would not wish some of what I've experienced on my worst enemy. Like, and I think a lot of people who have mental illness feel that way. Yeah, but I do, and I do, and I do agree with that. With the, um, there are those silver linings. There really are those <laughs> those things of you know, and I think that's what this movie is also showing, and this story is also expressing, is there are those moments of you know, I, I like like you, I would not wish my illness on anybody. I I don't like particularly like that I have this. I don't like certain things that coincide with it, and certain things that have happened to me because of it. Um, or at least, have, and also the way it amplifies certain things too. But on the flip side of that, you know, I, you know, I, you know, you can be like, "Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me?" And I think, you know, having it and then feeling, you know, getting to the point where, you know, years ago I would have never done this because it, you know, telling everybody publicly in a public forum yeah. like this where anybody can hear this. Same, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's it's like. It's scary and it still scares me every time I do it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe that's part of the reason this happened to me is then I can express that in a public way where maybe somebody else out there can hear me or can hear Tanya and be like, oh, I'm less, I feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Um, If this person that I admire or respect, or if this person can go out and, and still live their life and uh, be able to be creative or be able to do whatever they want to do. And they have the same illness that I do, or they have an illness just like I do that can give that person hope, I think. So I think mm-hmm. that's another blessing of it. If you have it and you're able to somehow use it in that way and use it also, as you said, to find empathy and to be more empathetic. And I think that has definitely been something it has given me. I think those can be the sil- the silver linings, the positive aspects of it. Definitely are are those yeah. for sure. So right, yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't, and again, not to try to speak to other folks, but I think if nothing yeah. else, it gives us empathy for what people are going through and just how how difficult it can be to live with something that you one hundred percent do not want to be living with, or you don't want to be. This is so in the way of you're like, I just want to do this thing. And your brain is yeah. like, no, today we're going to fucking do this. And then you're like, God damn it. <laughs> I don't want to be here. And I know I'm yeah. swearing, but I don't know how else to express like how frustrating that can be. You're like, I do not want to wrestle myself today to go through the 10 things I got to do to leave the house. Right. And I mean, it just, of course you don't want to do that. Of course, that's not what you want to have. But when I can... And when it's appropriate, I do disclose 
to students sometimes and not in a too much information way, but just in a, I am a safe person. I hopefully am an example of an adult who, yes, has these challenges, but is able to live and have a life that I like, enjoy and want and is making contributions. And I'm safe in that if you are telling me, student, I, I'm a teacher for those who haven't heard me talk before, <laughs> you are telling me you've had a bout of depression, you've had a flare up of your mental health issues. I don't need to know everything that you don't, you don't have to tell me what you don't want to tell me. You tell me I can't come to class today because I'm too depressed. I consider that as valid as I have COVID. Like yeah. I, I do not, I want to normalize and validate that mental health is important, especially with what we've all been through. And I teach college and, and high school age and young adults and all the way, all ages, but especially knowing what that population has endured the last couple of years and how much mental health is a is a concern for folks right now in in everyone but in that age group especially it's it's rough so i want to normalize like hey self care if you need it you know don't like skip all semester that's not good that's not what your goals are but i want you to feel comfortable telling me that so that i can validate that it's a normal illness thing that you can take time for and support you however I can, whatever I can do, right? Anyway, it just, yeah. I think that this brings that up for me. And and as you said, if we can use our experiences to help others, that's another way that we can help integrate it into our lives. And that helps us process too, and, and reconcile those parts of ourself. Yeah, I agree. But I do want to get to the David O. Russell thing here. And once again, trigger warning for abuse, abusive behavior, abusive power, um, sexual abuse, um, misogyny, all of that. And once again, shout out to George Clooney again, who was one of the few people in Hollywood who he worked on Three Kings with David O. Russell and very famously came to actual physical blows with David O. Russell because David O. Russell was being a total jerk two people to the crew working on it and they, George Clooney's like no we don't do that and George Clooney still to this day says well he he says bluntly he's an asshole and George Clooney will never work with him again so once again shout out to Mr. George Clooney because yeah. I'm just because he's one of the few sadly in Hollywood that has worked with him and will never work with him again yeah. <laughs> I, I was reading about this. Yeah, no, I read that and was like, oh, I, I, I've, I, I'm not nearly in the in the love George Clooney camp that you are. Okay, like <laughs> I do have a Casa Amigos uh, tequila glass that I got free, and I do enjoy the man's performances. I'm just teasing, but that made me that made my like George Clooney appreciation level not get to where Aaron's is, but like definitely. <laughs> above where it was like yeah i was like okay but the fact that you have to be a george clooney who's one of the most powerful people in that industry to be able to opt out of that that's a problem so just getting yes. into that like the systemic enablement of someone's shit behavior which and it sucks so much if this person were bad at at making movies like this it'd be so much easier to be like yeah whatever we don't fuck off but <laughs> it's such a good movie and i'm not laughing because it's funny i'm like god damn it why does oh, somebody I know it's infuriating so good at this 
and and all the movies you're mentioning like i don't think i've seen every movie he's made but i've seen many and i'm like they're so good and i i will just shout out to the comedian mike berbiglia for a minute i don't know if you you know him at all but i do yeah you do yeah i know him no what if, if what he said anything about this, but I know so him. Okay, one of yeah. his more recent stand-up specials, he he talks about how much he likes David O. Russell's films. And then he was at some event and he wanted to read a transcript of David O. Russell like berating, I think it was Lily Tomlin. Yeah. And and his his Mike Berbiglia's wife or girlfriend, I don't I don't remember if they're married, but partner was basically like, Oh, you should do it. You should, and I'm like, talk about having to buy big pants for your bowling ball sized anatomy. But basically, Mike Perbiglia is just <laughs> this this soft spoken, very gentle seeming guy, and and loves the loves the um I think loves the the products that David O. Russell makes, but does not sanction this behavior. So his way of expressing this was to put it into stand up, which I'm like, yes, yes. Fuck yes. Um, and essentially talking about how he was presenting an award to David O. Russell and read that in a way that was kind of like, look what you're doing. And David O. Russell left. He was pissed and he left. And he did That's it. Awesome. Mike Rubigli. I know. And so I don't know the the whole context of that, but according to his own stand-up, I was like, oh wow, what a way to make this. That's to me what stand-up does and what humor can do. And and just to kind of try to tie it back into the film a little in the meta narrative is one thing that humor should do is make you confront some uncomfortable realities about our culture and our life. And I think in that way, he really was full meta level, like, you know, bringing it back. So just shout out for, for Burr Biggs on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big, big, big. Because, I mean... Yeah, there's there there is the video out there. You can find it of of um David O. Russell berating Lily Tomlin. You can find it. It's out there. Um and that that's what's so frustrating about David O. Russell. And we talked about it also on the George Clooney episode that we released a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Three Kings, because Three Kings is an incredible movie. And it's so frustrating mm -hmm. because it's just, you know, I hate saying it's not fair, but it's not fair that <laughs> so, that that someone who's such an ass gets this has such amazing talent and can create these amazing things and works with these amazing actors and these actors have all these horrible experiences with him and you know and i don't want to speak too much on the crew because i think a lot of times with crew and crew that is working on these they don't have very much of a choice i don't mm -hmm. think i think the actors some of them can have a little bit more of choice and more of a say of who they're going to work with but you know it's just so Oh, disheartening because this movie means the world to me. And there's this part of me that's like, well, you shouldn't, it shouldn't mean the world to you because he's such a jerk. So it's that whole separating the mm -hmm. art from the artist thing. And that's why I won't see any of his future movies. I, you know, the one that came out, Amsterdam, which has our unofficial mascot in it, Christian Effing Bale, I'm not going to see that movie. And like I said, we aren't covering it because I had a few people DM us and say, are you going to do anything about this movie? I'm like, nope, sorry, we're not covering it Yeah, uh, because of that reason. And it's not supposed to be a good movie anyway, which I'm like, yes, finally a movie. That's yeah. It, it looks like it, it bombed, but I know I was it bummed did, which because, is um, <laughs> because my, my, I think the last time I was on for, was for back to back Timothy Oliphant fest. Yes. 
and and he he's in it apparently yep. and i was and i was like oh damn it you know <laughs> like and i a like margot robbie and i like yeah everyone who's in it is like you're like oh and um nah i i i don't know that i was like ooh i didn't i didn't realize just quite how awful he was until i was seeing stuff on twitter as as someone who's not as plugged into like the production side of the entertainment industry and then i saw the story about his niece and that shit and and just oh, people yeah. can look it up trigger warning and i was like okay fuck no fuck this guy no <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that niece thing was something that I had learned about like in the past year or so and didn't mm -hmm. know about. And yeah, look that up. And um, this is something David or Russell, as far as I know, has actually admitted to. So it's yep. not like it's something that's not, I mean, so. Right. But yeah, he's, he's just not a good person. And once again, this is the last time we will probably ever talk about a David or Russell thing as far as like past stuff. We, we won't talk about any future stuff but, at all. But I also just again want to put out there to actors that have power out there, to people who have power and say, you know, you can do something about this where a person like this doesn't get to have this free reign anymore. Because everybody knows this is not something that people don't know. About. You can't, you can't feign ignorance because it's out there in your face and mm -hmm. i know when that movie amsterdam came out there there's if i find it i will edit and put this in here and put the link but there's a great article that a critic a, a female critic wrote about her personal struggle with the fact that people really wanted her to cover that movie and the struggle with having to possibly cover a film made by a predator basically so talking about that and um, if I find it, I will put it in there to give her credit. And it's a really great article that talks about that conflict and feeling, not feeling some support mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. So once again, we, we love a lot of these actors, but it doesn't mean you're above criticism. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean, you know, you're above being critic critiqued for the fact that you are, and by working with him, you are enabling his behavior, mm -hmm. whether you believe that or not, I think these actors, these big ones who have the power, have the control, and the big studios too, by the way, are helping to enable a little of this behavior. So, yeah, you know, and, cut it out. Oh, right. I, I did not mean to interrupt you there. And I no, agree. No, it's and fine. it's, it's just to be clear, it's not a pattern of behavior and assault like Harvey Weinstein. Okay. It's yeah. not that, but it, but it's toxic. It is. And it's whenever people, I get interviewed quite often because I'm amazing. No, um, I'm just kidding because <laughs> I am interviewed. Fairly, yeah. I'm teasing. I'm, I, I do this fake. I think I'm great thing. Cause I think it's funny. And being from the Midwest, I'm very, very uncomfortable. Uh, my socialization means I'm very uncomfortable, like actually acknowledging I'm good at anything or deserve to breathe. I don't, I don't know I'm why. The same way. The same I don't know why that's like, you can't accept a compliment or people are like, oh yeah, okay. They think they're pretty, they think their poo-poo doesn't smell like poo-poo. Oh no. You know, and, and stuff like that. And so you're judged for that as a, as a female presenting person, at least in the socialization that I'm from. Okay, cool. All that out of the way. So I do a bit where I sort of pretend I think I'm great and I think it's funny. Um, but I am interviewed <laughs> quite 
like a couple of times a year about cancel culture because we got some coverage on this uh, for an event we did on campus and I suddenly became the person that everybody reaches out to and I'm like what the hell this is even really what I do but cool and now I'm like okay I apparently need to write something on this officially so I can be like also buy my shit or buy my book or donate money to this or do use this power for good damn it okay and for self-interest but um the thing about cancel culture, and this is why in this context, I'm promised I'm going to make you a point here. Um, I'm like, cancel culture is not effective or it's not the, it's not what we think the, the concerns people have about cancel culture, I think are valid and, and accountability. It should shift to accountability culture, but can people like David O. Russell and people who have power have always been able to have Teflon armor against cancel culture. And the, what we're talking about now, the fact that these powerful people in studios and, and people who, um, you know, keep working with him, right, and keep enabling this is, is evidence of that, that cancel culture does not affect everyone equally, and it tends to be disproportionately impactful on people in marginalized spaces or people who are trying to speak truth to power not people who have power and are shitty and need to be held accountable. If David O. Russell had apologized, right, for this behavior, if he had done anything, he did He did admit the niece thing, okay, as far as I read, and otherwise I wouldn't bring it up. But um, if he had done anything to, like, show remorse or gone to anger management or went through some yeah. kind of apology, okay, I understand I was bad, blah, 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 you know, that would be taking accountability, but he's not. And he continues to make multi hundred million dollar films or whatever they spend now. Right. And work with the the top people. Yeah. So that's what I, I find, I find fascinating about whenever I'm asked about cancel culture, I'm like, cause people always want to ask like, is it gone too far? And I'm like, no, or it's a tool, right? It, it's a tool. It can be used how it's used. And I think we need to talk about sociologically what we're trying to accomplish as a society with this and how it, it, it does hit people with different status differently. I mean, think about Colin Kaepernick, who was doing a peaceful protest in a way he thought was respectful and how he's taken away from his livelihood for that versus David O. Russell, who treats his coworkers abusively toxically and continues to have money and support and yeah more like david o asshole am i right i'm just, yes no it's true i've just been waiting for that one but there you go <laughs> no it's very yes that's that's why i say you know this i think cancel culture is kind of a myth because the people that actually should have accountability held in some they don't usually don't that doesn't happen it's so rare you know, you'll have stuff come out. I mean, there's, there's things that have about certain actors that I, I mean, I won't mention on here because it hasn't actually come out. So I don't want to get into trouble or anything, but there are certain things that you'll see like rumblings of stories coming out about that. And then all of a sudden it goes away. And it's mm -hmm. like this kind of thing of like, you know, everybody's like, everybody's getting canceled left and right. And you don't see it as much, especially for um, white cisgender males. And, and, and anyone in this big, big power thing, they don't really have that happen. So it does need to be accountability. I do think if we, you know, I don't know if it would change it at all, but I think reframing it and putting it in the words of accountability is better because that's what needs to happen is people need mm -hmm. to have accountability for their actions 
And yes, someone like Colin Kaepernick did not need to be canceled because what he was doing was a form of peaceful protest and there was nothing wrong with what he was doing at all. Right. And (laughs) he suffered more than, like he said, than like David, oh, asshole, which I like that referring to him as that now, um, (laughs) than, than he ever has. So it's like, you know, it's this, we're just messed up in our, our priorities in my opinion. Anyway, well, I, I do want to end on the, the lighter note of the playing six degrees of Finn. I don't know if Tanya right did one. Did you? Do I don't, I have no idea. I, this one, <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to let Aaron do this. Cause my, I didn't even, th- I didn't even like really process it or think about it too hard. So yeah, I'm going to, that's all you. Oh, thank you. Okay. And okay, food well, was just brought to me. Thank oh, yay. You. Yay. <laughs> um, so uh, there were quite a few that I was trying to decide between, um, but I decided to use Julia Stiles. And Julia Stiles was in a season of Dexter. And Dexter, of course, starred the amazing Michael C. Hall. But it also also starred the amazing Jennifer Carpenter. And Jennifer Carpenter was in the movie A Mouthful of Air with Mr. Finn Whitrock. So there you go. Pretty quick and simple. Uh, remember, you can play the listener version of Six Degrees of Finn Wittrock by heading on over to our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com, clicking on the page titled Six Degrees of Finn Wittrock, and tell us how Finn is connected in six degrees or less to the movies listed there. Uh, once again, and it's about to end, but you have until end of November to connect them to any Nightmare on Elm Street movie, any Scream movie, any Halloween movie, and any Friday the 13th movie for a chance to win some merch. Ooh, I so- can do Scream. I can do the Scream <laughs> one. I can't believe this because I've never seen it, but I know Timothy Oliphant was in a Scream movie. Yes. And Sarah Paulson was on Deadwood and Timothy Oliphant was on Deadwood. And Finn Whitrock apparently did something with Sarah Paulson in some sort of Ryan Murphy thing. And and I mostly know that from being on the show. So I hope yes, I get yes. some merch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. How, yes, they were in, you know, a couple of seasons of American Horror Story together and then also in Ratchet, which they played brother and sister in Ratchet. So, yes, yes. <laughs> And and once again, this is not the child from Stranger Things. Different person. No, not <laughs> even close. No, no. And and I do want to say Finn is amazing on stage. Uh, you know, he trained at Juilliard. He's done Broadway stuff. So he's Juilliard. He trained at Juilliard. <laughs> and I think you yes. have to say it like that, don't you? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and as far as I know, Finn has not been in a David O. Russell movie that I could think of, and hopefully oh. that will remain that way. So our vice and official mascot's doing better. Don't department. do it. Just if he call, just be like, no. <laughs> yes, don't do let, it, please. Let Ryan Murphy do a lot of other <laughs> scary oh, things with you, but don't do it. I don't know. I don't know. I've only I've only seen like maybe one thing he's in. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, Aaron, it's fine. And, and this podcast love you so much and i don't even have a horse in this race but i'm asking you finn don't work with david o asshole please <laughs> yes yes 
please don't. So, well, thank you so much, Tanya, for joining me. So if you want to just tell everybody where they can find you. I don't know, because Twitter is imploding kind of, and that yeah. we should probably do an episode about that, my God, or another one on Gish. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give you more assignments. That's because I'm a teacher. Here's your homework. <laughs> Um, no, you can, I'm Tanya Cook. You can find me on, um, right now on Twitter at AK Nerd Fighting. You can also find us at Always Keep Nerd Fighting on Facebook. And when I say us, I mean my writing par partner, Kayla and I, we research uh, charity work in fandom. Um, you can also find me on probably Facebook or Instagram, but it's not real exciting. So there you go on those two. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, we will, you know, it is a good idea. I'm trying to think of how we will do it to do some kind of a special thing talking about, about Twitter. I may just do a special recording of just me talking about it um, because it is, to me, it's, it, it's very heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking I, to me what's happening to Twitter right now. Um, you know, I, I met, <laughs> yeah, I, I met, I met so many people because of Twitter you know, I mean, some of them like have been on here a lot, like Carla, Meg, Tiff, uh, I, you know, Jen, my podcast brain twin, I would not know these people without Twitter. Um, and Twitter is also a lifeline for a lot of people. So it is absolutely heartbreaking. And I will have to figure out a way we can do some kind of special episode because it is something we should definitely talk about uh, on this podcast. Um, for sure. I don't, I don't know when, but we will definitely talk about it. Um, but I think that'd be for great. now, I, yeah, I would really like to raise awareness about like some of the things you were sharing just to preview. I'm going to preview that for you and I'll maybe send in my three thoughts if you if you are interested. But it's heartbreaking to watch yeah. how it's affecting creators, right? People like you who oh, put yeah. so much work into passion mm -hmm. project projects like this and 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 um, and to people who do use it for professional work, but aren't aren't in the elite to where it doesn't it doesn't really hurt them if it, if it gets affected like this, but you know, people like us who have had to struggle to like sell our content or, or promote our content, maybe mm -hmm. sell is even a bad word and, and use it to connect. It's just, it's such a shame. And it has been my favorite social media for a while until now. <laughs> yeah, me too. Cause it has issues. It's always had issues, but overall, you know, it's done more good in my life than bad in my life. And there are freelance journalists that are that rely on it, and there, you know, there's also a lot of people in in the disabled community that rely on it. And there's it's just so many reasons that this sucks. That once again, a rich white man is destroying something. It's so fucking so. Fuck you, Elon. You're 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 you know what your listeners can't see this, but I'm just gonna talk you through it. I recently had an infection in a finger nail and I'm going to show you which finger it was and you can probably guess and this is how I feel about this whole thing it was this one this <laughs> finger yes the the, the which is that, my that tallest finger yeah <laughs> yes read between there, the lines Elon <laughs> read between anyway yes no it's very true so we will definitely have to talk about that at some point you know that will also be kind of I may, might use that as a way of early on telling everybody what's going to happen that's going to be different with the podcast next year and how the podcast is going to be changing just slightly. I think it'll be for the better. It'll definitely be for the better for me, <laughs> but I think it'll be for the, it'll be for the better for everybody. And 
Um, and so that will, maybe that'll serve as a way of kind of introducing that. So I'll have to figure out when we're going to record that. Cause I'm sure there will be a lot of people that will want to be on that and have something to say. I may just have people come on individually and say stuff. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, for now, you can follow me on Twitter at E April beauty, the E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. For now, you can follow us on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. We are also now on Discord. And we do have a Discord server, which I'm learning. But we do have a channel just for like audience members. And we're under It's a Fandom Thing Pod. But I also said It's a Fandom Thing Pod Fandom Thingers. So I know we've been, I know people have come up with that as a way of saying people fans of the pod. So we will have that. Um, I will, hopefully that link will be in the show notes. If I remember to put it in there, I should, when I'm editing it, I'll be telling myself to do that. Um, so yes. So, and then uh, if you have any feedback show notes, sorry, if you want to be a potential interview guest, I'm trying to schedule interviews for the next year. Uh, just to let you know, heads up next week, we are going to have probably three interviews coming your way next week. We're going to have a bonus interview that, um, I'm not going to say yet because it hasn't been recorded yet. So I'm always worried that I might curse it and it doesn't end up happening. It's scheduled to be recorded tomorrow, but you know, I'm always worried that something will happen. But one of those interviews is actually going to be with Tanya. So that's right. I'm going to take a few minutes out of my busy tour of cancel culture commentary and eating gluten-free pastries. No, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. You're welcome. No, I'm very excited to have Tanya on. So that that will be a fun conversation. And I love interviewing people and the little bit of the change we're making with the podcast will hopefully open up more time for me to do that. So if you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show for next year, not this year, but for next year, for 2023, Please feel free to reach out to us via our contact us button on our website. It's a fandom thing or you can email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, we're going to round out my birthday month celebration with a discussion about just some things I'm into. It's going to be basically like a what we're into episode and Meg's going to be on that. I don't know if Aaron A might end up being on it, might not. I don't know. We haven't recorded it yet. Um, And so I'll just be talking about a bunch of things I'm into. Once again, I've warned you, I will probably be talking about Depeche Mode for another 20 minutes because... Oh my gosh, my love for that. And I'm so, ex- I'm so, so happy personally that our Depeche Mode episode is our most popular episode at the moment right now for this month right now. So I am very happy throughout about that because that episode means a great deal to me. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. <laughs>